0: The gift of people may not be high on our wish list, but when it comes to our passage, the gift of people is really meant to be enough. And the roles that Paul mentions in verse 11 are vitally important for us.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller, glad you've tuned in on this uh, program as we begin a message entitled, The Lord's Gifts to the Church. And Jonathan, people being one of those things may not be something that we instantly think of, but what are the roles that Paul does mention that are so vitally important to us in verse 11?
0: Well, it's a wonderful picture that Paul paints for us of the risen Jesus giving these gifts to his church for the good of the church, for the building up of the church, for the future of the church, and. The gifts are people and the people he mentions are apostles, prophets, and those are some foundational people from right back at the beginning of church history and then evangelists and then shepherds and teachers. That's probably one role there, the the pastor teacher. And these people are given for the sake of building up the church and particularly for equipping the people of God for the work of ministry.
1: You know, I don't think we always think about the fact that those are gifts that the Lord has given to us as the church, uh, and another reason for us to be in prayer for those who are in leadership in our local congregations.
0: That's right, and of course, we know that those who are in spiritual leadership within the church are are, are people who are weak and frail and sinful and so very much need the prayers of the church family day by day by day and and as a pastor myself one of the most wonderful experiences that i have is when a a member of our church comes up to me or sends me a note and says you know i just i'm I pray for you every day. Yeah, um, I'm I'm just upholding you before the Lord, and 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 de- you know, depending on the the season that I'm in, that can almost move me to tears. Quite frankly, it's such a precious thing.
1: It is, and a good reminder for us that we ought to be praying for those in leadership in our churches and looking at them as gifts that God has given to us. We're going to look at this further today in the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter four, so grab a Bible and join us there as we begin this message the Lord's gifts to the church. Here is Jonathan.
0: One commentator on our passage this morning suggests that Paul's concern for us as a church is to look more like an orchestra and less like a bus. That is, he wants a pastor like me to be more of a conductor and less of a driver. And he wants all the rest of the church family to be active participants rather than simply passengers. Now, I think that commentator was actually on to something. And my prayer this morning is that having spent time in this passage and having worked through this passage together, we would together become the kind of orchestra that God calls us to be. We'll come back to that image and that idea, but hold on to it if you would. We're in that season of the year when society at large, and children in particular, are hard at work drawing up gift lists. Lists of the things we would most like to be given. Sometimes we struggle to know what to ask for. I never know what I would like for myself, but in my experience, children always know what they'd like to receive. They've always got a healthy and a robust and fairly unrealistic list of items to be acquired ahead of the 25th of December. Well, gift-giving is in the air, and the idea of gift-giving comes to the fore at the start of our passage this morning. The opening image that Paul gives to us in our verses is of the risen and the ascended Lord Jesus Christ distributing gifts to his church. That's the picture painted for us in those poetic words of verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now those words come to us from Psalm 68, where the psalmist tells of the Lord coming to Mount Zion in glorious victory, having conquered his enemies. And as the Lord approaches his holy mountain, he hands out the spoils of war to his loyal subjects. He doles out lavish gifts. When the psalmist speaks of the Lord ascending on high, Paul sees the fulfillment of that image, of course, in the ascension of the Lord Jesus to heaven, his return, if you like, to the heavenly Zion, having conquered sin and the grave. Having not only come down from heaven, but having descended even to death itself, verse 9. Having endured the cross. Having won for himself a people through his redemption there. And now having ascended on high to fill the entire universe, verse 10. He sends his spirit to his church and he gives out gifts. It's a beautiful picture, it's a very wonderful idea that Jesus would have presents for us, gifts to give his people, spoil to share from his victory over sin and death and the grave. Now, when this idea of gifts, of presents, comes up, our ears sort of perk up, and we wonder what's in the bag for us, what goodies the Lord may have in store for us, his people, and the mind just begins to whir. What does the church need? What new equipment? What new buildings? What new toys might he have for us? But it's fascinating to see what Paul has to say about the gifts that Jesus has for his people. The presence that he clearly knows we actually most urgently need. And it has to be said that the presents, the gifts that Jesus has chosen to give the church may not be all the gifts we would normally or most readily ask to receive. In the verses before us, Paul sets out to tell us what the Lord has given us and why he has given us these particular things. He begins with the nature of the gift. The Lord Jesus, he tells us, gives the gift of leaders to his church. That is, his gift for us is people, particular people with particular roles. Notice with me, verse 11 It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. We were having a discussion in our household about Christmas presents, and uh, my wife Gemma expressed the thought that perhaps I might not be ahead of the curve in terms of my primary, or we might say only purchasing responsibility, buying a gift uh, for her. Thinking I might save some cash this year, I floated the idea that perhaps just being married to me was present enough, and I was sure she wasn't wanting anything more in the way of costly gifts this year. Now, without rehearsing the whole scene and the whole conversation to you, I'll tell you that my clear sense coming out of that exchange was that a certain amount of shopping might still be in order for me this year. (laughs) The gift of people may not be high on our wish list, but when it comes to our passage, the gift of people is really meant to be enough. And the roles that Paul mentions in verse 11 are vitally important for us. The first two roles we notice there seem to be foundational roles, roles that had a key part to play at the foundation, at the beginning of the church's life. The apostles we see there, they were set apart by Jesus to establish the church and to define, and to set out true doctrine. It seems that the, the prophets also mentioned there were those who worked alongside the apostles in setting out the true faith, perhaps even participating and helping in the composition of the New Testament documents. Paul actually describes those people as being foundational back in chapter 2 in verse 20. You'll notice there the church was built on the foundation of of the apostles and the prophets, he tells us there. And what a foundation these people gave us. We gotta remember, Jesus didn't write down his teaching during his earthly ministry. He didn't give us a written record of his word. No, Jesus was out preaching and healing and calling people to himself. And so the work of leaving a written record, well, it fell to his associates. Added to all that, Jesus didn't actually travel all that far during his earthly ministry. He confined himself to Judea and to Galilee, to that immediate area. But the apostles, well, they were sent out further afield to establish churches and to spread the gospel. I mean, imagine if those leaders had not been sent to us in those early days and the New Testament was never written The gospel didn't get out beyond Judea and Galilee. The church wasn't established. No, these these people, these foundational leaders, they were a gracious and wise and wonderful gift to us as a people of God. Those two categories of person, apostle and, and prophet, they were given at the beginning. We don't look for them now. But Jesus also gives us, verse 11, evangelists. And pastors and teachers, the pairing of those two words at the end seem to be tied together in the grammar of the original. So it's probably one type of person, probably the pastor-teacher we're thinking about there. And again, how we need those people in an ongoing way. Think about evangelists with me. All of us are called to be engaged in the work of making Jesus known, in the work of evangelism. All of us are to be salt and light in our community, but not all of us have the particular gift of evangelism and are called to be set apart as evangelists for the church of Jesus Christ. And actually, such people are not easily found. There aren't great crowds of evangelists in the church, but there are some. There are some. And how wonderfully and how greatly they can be used of God. Church history has shown us time and time again how gifted evangelists have been used of God to turn the world upside down, to transform societies, to build the church. You think of the Apostle Paul pioneering with the gospel all around the Mediterranean rim, fearlessly declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, news where it wasn't welcome or wanted, planting new churches, building an extraordinary foundation for the future and church history since then has seen a number of remarkable evangelists you think of a george whitfield in the 18th century an anglican cleric who was a foundational figure actually of methodism with a ministry both sides of the atlantic he was perhaps the first transatlantic figure in many ways an influential leader in the Great Awakening in New England. In an age before microphones or television or recording devices, he preached some 18,000 times to some 10 million people. And he's described as perhaps the greatest evangelical preacher the world has ever seen. Or in more recent times, of course, we think of someone like a Billy Graham, His unique and winsome yet arresting way of presenting the gospel in a time when the North American church seemed destined to terminal decline, in a time of radical social change which seemed to just be closing doors for the gospel right, left, and center. And yet here was an evangelist who had the ear of the nation and the nations, and thousands upon thousands, millions heard the good news and many were saved. It's a special gift, and the Lord has been pleased to raise up a number of great evangelists with international reach. But on a more local scale, in any church family, you tend to find a few people who are very specially gifted in this way. They just manage to turn conversations to the gospel in a, in a natural way and, and to do it well. They have a, a boldness about them. They have a way of forging links with unbelievers. They're particularly gifted by God and called of God, and they can model something for the rest of us, and they can spur the rest of us on. Evangelists, they're a gracious gift of the risen Lord to his church and how we need the Lord to continue to be gracious to us and to raise up such people. And then there are pastor teachers, people who do the kind of work I do, the work that the various pastors on our team do. The word pastor is, of course, taken from the world of agriculture. It speaks of shepherding sheep, providing care and protection and guidance for a flock. And church pastors fulfill that role under the leadership of the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. So we are, if you like, under shepherds. And the care and the guidance and protection that any pastor can give, well, it comes from the Word of God. That's why the teaching piece is linked so closely with the pastoring. Shepherding happens as pastors open up the Word of God and provide God's wisdom and God's guidance and God's comfort and God's care. And it's a kindness of Jesus, it's a gracious gift that He makes this provision for the church. I'm so grateful for the team of pastor-teachers that the Lord has sent to us here to serve We're immensely blessed by the ministry of these people on our team whom the Lord has sent to shepherd and teach in the various areas of our ministry. We're privileged in that. But here's the lesson of the passage that we need to take to heart. Here's the thing that's really stood out for me as I've reflected on it. Pastor teachers come to us as a gift from our Lord Himself. And so as we look for others, we need to humbly wait on Him for His kindness, for His provision, for His help. We can't manufacture leaders, and we can't imagine that we can drum them up of our own volition the Lord provides. Prayerfully, we must ask the risen and ascended Lord for His kind, His gracious, His generous provision for His church. So as you just think of that in the days ahead, let me ask you, please pray with me, pray with us here at the church, that the Lord would raise up pastor teachers for our generation. That he would graciously provide.
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message today called The Lord's Gifts to the Church. We've been taking a look at Ephesians chapter 4, part of a series called The Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And we're going to get back to this message in just a moment. But if you ever do miss a broadcast, I want you to know you can always come to our website and listen to each and every program online. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org. There you can stream the program or download an mp3. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan.
0: The Lord Jesus, in his generosity, in his kindness, he gives leaders to his church. But what exactly is their purpose and their role? What are these leaders to do? What is Jesus' program in providing them? Well, he, he gives them to the church, we're told next, to equip God's people to serve. The Lord Jesus has given these people, these leaders, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. What is the role of pastors? At a church, what is the role of the ministry staff within a church like this one, you might ask? Well, as the category name suggests, the ministry staff are here to do the ministry. Obvious, isn't it? We hardly need to ask the question, for we already know the answer. Except, (laughs) except that our answer is actually a little bit off-base, According to verses 11 and 12, what are the ministry leaders here to do? What is my role? What is Pastor Randy's role or Pastor Greg or Adam, the other pastors who work alongside us? What are we here to do? We are here to serve you by preparing you to do ministry. We are here, verse 12, to prepare the people of God for works of service. You may know that the first building that this church occupied downtown was built during the Great Depression. The bank was willing to extend the loan for the building, but they did so on one key condition. The church had to be built to look like a movie theater so that if the thing failed, the bank could resell it easily and recoup their money. Now, the movie theater vibe is mostly gone in this present building, but there is still just a little hint of it, I think, as we come in and we sit in these very comfortable chairs and look up to a platform and a couple of big screens behind. Well, the seats are very comfortable, and that's no bad thing. But we need to be careful, don't we, not to adopt the approach of a moviegoer, a spectator, when we're here. You see, church is not about coming to observe a show. We don't come to watch or even simply to receive. At a very fundamental level, we come here to be equipped, equipped to do the work of ministry. We're here, each one of us, that we might be prepared to minister and to serve as God calls us to throughout the week. We come not simply to receive, but we come to be prepared that we might give. We've said quite a lot in recent months about our refreshed mission statement here. We grounded that mission statement in the Great Commission that was mentioned already in the work of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And in framing that statement, we worked hard to try and lay out what it'll look like to be involved in that work of disciple-making. And we said that disciple-making involves the work of engaging people with the gospel, establishing believers in the gospel, and equipping servants of the gospel. The disciples of Jesus Christ, fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ, will be those who are prepared to go and make more disciples of other people. The work of discipling in its fullest sense involves equipping believers to minister, and equipping believers to serve. Now that's our heart, but what's that going to look like? What is the role that each person here in this room has to play in the work of ministry? Well, in general terms, verse 12, we are to work to build up the body of Christ. In more specific terms, verse 13, we are to work to deepen one another's faith and knowledge of the Son. You see, our ministry among one another has a particular focus, to help one another to know the truth better. And verse 15, it reinforces the idea. Notice it with me. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. We'll come back to that whole idea of growing and maturing in in just a moment. But just notice the activity that we're all to engage in here. We are to speak truth, and we are to do so in love. The pastor-teacher, a person like me in my role, has a particular role to give time, to give attention to the teaching of the Word of God, to the teaching of the truth, And I'm to do that, I understand from this passage, I am to do that so that the whole church family will know the truth well enough so that we will be equipped and prepared to speak that truth to one another. Now, as we stand back and we just reflect on what Paul's saying here, all of that actually makes a great deal of sense. The work of bringing just one believer to maturity in the faith, it is a huge job, isn't it? It involves hours and months and years, decades even, of discipling, of teaching, of encouraging, of rebuking, modeling the truth, commending the truth. But when you multiply that job of disciple-making across a whole church family, hundreds of people, even thousands of people, there's no way that I or even our whole staff team here could tackle that job on our own. This is a major team effort, all of us. Involved. Now, of course, it must be this way. Of course, Paul is right in what he's saying. But what will it actually mean for us to take this to heart, to internalize it, to live it out? Well, on a very basic level, I think it has some pretty big implications for how we approach our Sunday morning gatherings here. I think it could actually reshape the dynamics of Sunday mornings in no small way if we think it through. You see, if we say we're here not simply to be nourished and sustained and encouraged, and don't get me wrong, we are here for all those things, each one of us. But if you say, I am here for all those things, but I'm also here for the purpose of being equipped for my ministry throughout the week, if we come in with that kind of a mindset, then your approach even to listening to this sermon becomes subtly, but significantly different. You see, then you're listening thinking, how will this truth, de- this teaching and this truth deepen my own knowledge, shape my own thinking so that I will be better prepared this week to bring the truth to others? What am I learning this morning that might make me a more effective and faithful speaker of the Word of God to my brothers and sisters?
1: And that is where we have to pause the message today. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message from the book of Ephesians chapter 4 called The Lord's Gifts to the Church. And speaking of gifts, that's how we're able to keep Jonathan's teaching on this station. It is through your generosity that we're able to bring you Encounter the Truth each week. So if you're benefiting from listening, I want to ask you to consider giving a gift today. And as you do, we want to say thank you by sending you Jonathan's book, called Living by Faith in Turbulent Times. It tackles questions about how do we handle living in these turbulent days and what does it look like to navigate crises and the aftermath of those crises as followers of Jesus. We'd love to send you a copy as you give a gift of any amount to the ministry. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-998. 7884. Or again, the website is encounterthetruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.